Welcome back to World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason here in beautiful downtown Portland. I'm Scott Cunningham, and this is the Oregon Music News Coffee Shop Conversation number 115. As a reminder, you can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, and TuneIn. Just search for Oregon Music News. Tom D'Antoni, our editor-in-chief, has been trying to get me to host one of these, so here we are. In the coffee shop this week with me, I'm talking with Rich Layton, one of the premier harmonica players in the area, and the front man for his aptly named band, Rich Layton and the Troublemakers. If you haven't heard them before, they're well worth checking out, and you can find them playing somewhere in the area several times a month. Your next chance will be this Friday, September 1st, when they head out to McMinnman's Rock Creek on the west side. Allow me to introduce you to the chief troublemaker, Rich Layton. Well, welcome back, Oregon Music News listeners. Scott Cunningham sitting in here today for the very first time for uh, Editor-in-Chief Tom D'Antoni. And uh, I'm a little nervous because he just said that uh, this is kind of like me going out with his daughter for the first time. So hopefully he's not going to be too upset. But I would like to welcome Rich Layton, uh, one of the local Portland area finest harmonica players, to our cupping room here at uh, World Cup Coffee at 18th and Gleason. Welcome, Mr. Mr. Layton. Yeah, I'm the chaperone. You're the chaperone. <laughs> so, you know, we got uh, like, what, a, a three foot on the floor kind of a, a rule or something? <laughs> yeah, I think but, so. <laughs> Sitting here in the uh, cupping room, and actually, uh, this is as good a place as any to kick off with you. You're a bit of a coffee aficionado. I am. I've been roasting my own coffee beans for about 25 years, actually. Are are uh, they done yet? (laughs) 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 It's the only vice I have left. (laughs) But I abuse it as as religiously as I possibly can. Well, you know, the, the older rockers have got to hang on to at least one vice. You can't, can't let them all go. That's right. And World Cup is a fine place to uh, drink coffee when I'm not drinking my own coffee. They are not subject to the tyranny of under-roasted coffee that's happening around Portland right now. Yeah, under-roasted is not good. But... Uh, we re-record these a couple of days out in front of when we post them, and just by luck of the calendar, it's your birthday today. So happy birthday, brother. Hey, thank you so much. So this is what, 32, 33, something like that? That's right. I was remembering a gal, that, a famous blues gal in Memphis, and her line was, age ain't nothing but a number, honey, and mine is unlisted. Yeah. <laughs> An unlisted number, I love it. Um, but, you know, on kind of a, I hate to start off on a somber note, but you've got very deep ties to Houston, and we're sitting here with uh, Tropical Storm Harvey, sitting here dumping torrential amounts of rain on Houston. Um, you, you've got friends and family still down in the area, right? Yeah, and I got to say, this is a, has weighed heavily on this birthday and has weighed heavily for the past couple days. Uh, we found an online feed of the local news 24-7. So we've been watching friends and, and family. Um, one of my dear musical mentors, a studio caved in on his studio uh, last night. He had gotten everything out, got all the equipment out, got all the guitars out and stuff. Um, folks with four feet, five feet, six feet of water in their house. And uh, so one in five people in my circle has probably been flooded this time. And it's, 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 a, it's 
it's apocalyptic. Yeah, it, it really is, and it draws a lot of comparisons in a lot of ways to Katrina. Um, only this time, it's a, it's a larger area that's been impacted, and just seeing some of the the images that that are coming out of the downtown area. And if anyone's been in Houston, you know you get these. Uh, you know, if you think about the the bridges on the the interstate bridges on the east side of Portland, triple, quadruple the height of some of those. And you start to get a feel of what's happening with the water coming up to those levels. It's just unbelievable. I think one thing, though, that's been really um, hopeful for me, I guess, on the heels of you know what we've seen on the television and our social media feeds from the protests and the, everything that happened, you know, a few weeks ago in Charleston. And to watch the city of Houston, the city of many colors, uh, people just are there and reaching out, and they're not even thinking about right. what ethnic background you might be before they pull their boat up and they help you get in, and, and the, the faces and the diversity and the selflessness that I'm seeing every day is just, you know, I think Houston's the greatest city in the world. Yeah, so. yeah I mean, it's really sadly ironic that it takes some of the worst events to, to bring out the best of everybody. Uh, are, are your family safe? Uh, I've got a sister-in-law there and so far, knock on wood, yeah. I was the last one to, uh, last member of my family to leave Houston. Other family members are farther, Austin, right. Austin and, and doing well, you know, okay. ducking that, the worst of it, so right. yeah. Well, that's good to hear. But you're not, you weren't born in Texas. No, I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, Born on the south side of St. Louis, if anybody's familiar, there's a landmark called the Bevo Mill, and uh, that's where I would reference. I grew up near Bevo Mill, and everybody would go, oh yeah. But uh, my dad worked for Anheuser-Busch, and when they built the plant in Houston, Texas, that was his ticket to get out, and we moved to Houston. Okay. So when did uh, the uh, kind of the blues bug hit you? Uh, actually, it was rock and roll first. Uh, uh, growing up, uh, you know, in St. Louis, we had we had Ike and Tina Turner come and play sock hops at the Catholic high school. And well, I would was have been a blast. in grade school, but I could peek in the window and I could certainly hear it. Um, just, you know, saw a lot of music that way. Okay. Uh, Chuck Berry, I think, played there as well, but I don't know if I got to see him or not. Can't remember seeing him. Um, moved to Texas, and I was one of those guys that, uh, well, let's put it this way. Music was a lifeline that I grabbed early on, you know, right. and I just held on to it. Um, I was always a singer, and uh, I was singing in the in the bedroom after school one day, and I got this knock on the door, and a couple of my buddies go, dude, we didn't know you could sing, and, and we need you to join our band. And so I had a garage band start. Uh, Based on that, it was, but before Garage Band was even a thing, yeah, you know, for, for some well, of our yeah, younger the other Garage Band, yeah, the other, other Garage people, Band, yeah, yeah. yes. There's a whole history of Texas Garage Bands now. And I just saw Billy Gibbons the other night. Went to see ZZ Top, and and he was in the Moving Sidewalks at the time. This kind of psychedelic right. Texas Garage Band, and they were the judges for the uh, uh, band fest, band co contest at my junior high school. Yeah, you know, yeah, this is you know we've talked about this before, and this kind of blows me away, but. It, in some ways, this is how it works for so many musicians that you just happen to be in the right place at the right time, and it's a consistent, 
kind of thing, and it doesn't always happen for everybody, but you just kind of rolled into some really cool opportunities, and Billy Gibbons being a judge on your first band competition, how, how cool would that have been to even think about that happening. Yeah. I've lived in three or four other places around the country, and, and I've always uh, have come back to the just the incredible breadth of music that, that you're exposed to in Houston. Uh, right. You grew up as a musician, in, in Houston in particular, yes, Austin, yes, you know, Fort Worth, Dallas, etc. But there's this confluence there. The whole Gulf Coast funnels through Houston, and so you're exposed to, to blues, to garage rock, to psychedelic, you know, know, Gulf Coast rock and roll to uh, gold band uh, swamp pop out of Louisiana right. to Zydeco to Cajun to Louisiana. I mean, it's just, it's all coming through Houston. And, you know, we either heard it or we played it or some combination right. of both. Yeah. You know, today everyone thinks about Austin uh, being kind of the center of uh, Texas music. And, and I guess in a lot of ways it is, but, you know, hearing you talk about that and all of the influences surrounding Houston you know, within just a, two or three hours at the most. Yeah, you I know, couldn't couldn't help but the, all of those kind of blending together and and merging into into its own unique art form. Right. I, I did digress from your question. Sorry. <laughs> I, I asked a question. <laughs> yeah. It was about being exposed to the blues, which you would associate, you know, with a harmonica player. But I really well, and with St. Louis. Well, yeah, yeah to, to, I guess to an so. Extent. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't know that I ever heard a harmonica player in St. Louis, but. Um, but uh, uh, so I came at it as a rock and roll instrument first. Okay. And, and then as a folk instrument, when I, uh, I met a gal named Lucinda Williams in Austin when I was there for finishing up college and uh, invited her over for dinner and she didn't leave for a couple of years. And we ended up playing, you know, we would play for tips on the drag across from the university on Saturday. Right. And she was traveling back and forth doing really well at a folk club in Houston called Anderson Fair. Okay. And uh, finally, she convinced me we needed to move, even though I had th thought I was done with Houston. And uh, moved to kind of the inner city part of Houston, you know, came into this, to this community of singer-songwriters. Towns Van Zandt was, was still there. Uh, I think uh, Guy Clark had just left. Uh, Lightning Hopkins played there. Uh, Nancy Griffith played there. And by virtue of, you know, my coming with Lucinda, I sort of became the house harmonica player in this circle of, of Texas songwriters. Okay. So, so you're that guy that shows up to a gig with a harmonica in his pocket, just waiting to pull it out. Well, it, a long time ago, I, I, I you know, I, I pulled them out of my pocket and kept them in a nice little case. And, and uh, yeah, those are the kind of people that give real harmonica players a bad name, yeah, I'm yeah, afraid. So. Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, if... Uh, you know, you missed the name Lucinda Williams as, as Rich uh, threw that out there. Uh, very famous. I, I, I'm not even sure you would call her country at this point. I suppose at one point, you know, probably would have found that that was her niche and, and the best word to describe her. But, you know, today, you know, we'd probably throw Americana yeah, uh, on that yeah. as much as anything. It's like the genre that grew up around people that were playing it and didn't have a label and finally one right. emerged. So, right. which I'm really happy for everybody in that case. Yeah. So. And, and have you heard any of the new Ray Wiley Hubbard album yet? 
a little bit of a yeah. couple of different yeah. times. Yeah. Have, you, have you heard the track that Lucinda is on? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Okay. she does some uh, harmonizing on the title t track, uh, cool. Tell the Devil I'm Getting There Fast As I Can. So, yeah, it's a good uh, check that one out. She has a, it's just kind of a, a, you know, with her kind of deep, gravelly voice, it's just kind of a, a natural compliment to what uh, Ray Wiley does. Right, right. Yeah. So what made you decide, hey, I'm going to go grab a harmonica? Oh, it was the guys in my garage band that said, we have to rehearse all the time on guitar, practice our guitars. And I, I was not, I just could not handle the manual dexterity of the guitar uh, to any, to not be anything more than frustrated. So I went up to the local music store and bought a harmonica, came back and started, you know, kind of making noise on it, driving people crazy, you know, kind of to take it into the shower and drive around the block in the car with it. <laughs> and, uh, and you'd buy a book and, and you wouldn't, the book would make no sense at all. Um, and then you'd, you know, pick it up three or four months later and realize, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing mm -hmm. this, and sort of learned in a backwards fashion. Um, some, some folks did hear me play in, uh, in that circle of Anderson Fair and recruited me to a, uh, a, band, there, a band that he was starting, uh, Rock Romano started a band called Dr. Rocket. And we kind of were the first rock and blues band. And I realized, I've uh, been talking to a few other people, that at that time, I was the only kind of, you know, guy associated with the harmonica in, in, in Houston for the better part of three or four years, I guess. Oh, wow. So it, 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 was, it was, I was in a lucky spot. I was busy a lot. I was, you know, was able to play with a lot of different folks. And, and kind of, you know, got introduced to the blues that way. Um, although I did get a chance to, you know, hear Lightning Hopkins as, as a kid and, and, and play with him a few times later on. But that would have been an experience. It was, it was. Some serious guys. I have a whole tale that I'll have to tell another time about, uh, about taking Rocky Hill to play at Lightning Hopkins' funeral. It was... We have plenty of time. Don't 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 tease me here with this. So what's the story with Rocky Hill? Rocky Hill is Dusty's younger brother, right? And Rocky, you know, got to Houston. Uh, can't remember, blues. Can't remember the band that he hit big in. He was, you know, the quintessential white blues man, and he spent his days either sitting at Lightning's house, bringing whiskey over. Or maybe maybe Mance Lipscomb's house, bringing whiskey over, and uh, so he lived the blues, the blues life. Right. But he he studied and soaked up everything that those guys would teach him. And uh, uh, Rocky put a band together uh, Wednesday night, Blue Wednesdays with Rocky Hill, and I got to play with Rocky, who was a he was like a blues drill sergeant. Oh. <laughs> First thing is that he made sure that you played every signature lick. You couldn't get away with the generic kind of 12-bar blues that okay. has run rampant over, you know, the jam scene. Right. Um, you learned the signature licks. You got the time right. You got the stops right. You did everything right when you played with Rocky, or you got yelled at. Got you yelled might get yelled at even <laughs> if you did it right. Because, you know. Hey, did, did he find you? Lay out, you know. Would he find people? No, he no, didn't he find didn't, didn't go that far. No, he was a big guy, and he just could intimidate okay. you. You know, you could be quaking in your boots. 
So that was, a, uh, that was an incredible education for me in, in the blues. And somehow Rocky, you know, he would call me up at the oddest times and say, hey, can you take me to do such and such or can you whatever? And he said, Lightning's wife asked him to play. And uh, he said, can you come get me and take me over there? So I was like, I hadn't heard from him in a while, but it's like, absolutely, I'm there. Okay. What time? So I picked up Rocky. And it, he was, you know, it, it, Lightning's death hit him really hard. He, he, was, he was at a real loss. It was, mm -hmm. it was, it was you could tell. And we went to this uh, uh, funeral home in the Fifth Ward, and we were ushered to the back room where, you know, gentlemen were just kind of sitting around trading stories and passing around a hip flask. Right. And, uh, and everybody was drinking and chatting and... I was just kind of a fly on the wall, and then the door opened, and somebody said, well, are we going to bury this <laughs> guy or not? <laughs> so they set up a folding chair for Rocky, and he had just brought his, he brought his dobro. So they set a folding chair down in front of the open casket, and Rocky played something on the dobro that just brought a hush over the entire place and literally i mean just talking oh, wow. about it the hair stands up on my right. arm to think about it and it was time stopped and it was the saddest most lonesome most heartbreaking stuff i think i'd ever heard him play and then he was done and we packed him up and brought him to the back room and the rest of the funeral carried on but uh yeah, Rocky took me. I had to do one other funeral with him like that for one of the Lomax family. Okay. Um, and I just like, okay, I'm here to serve. Right. What can I do? So. Yeah. Now, you know, we'll get to kind of your current style of playing the harmonica, which is considerably different than, than what most people would think of from a harmonica player, but I want to go back to kind of the earliest times when, when, when you picked it up and were starting to develop. What was your style like then? What did you, you know, try to do? I, I was trying to think about who I listened to a, a little bit back then. I mean, you know, the Yardbirds had harmonica. Um, uh, the, the Beatles had a little harmonica that they were taught by uh, Delbert McClinton, right. which is killer. Um, and it was a lot of Bob Dylan, but, you know, I never would have considered Bob as a harmonica inspiration. Right. <laughs> God bless him. Um, maybe Paul Butterfield a okay. little bit, because, you know, he kind of crossed over into the, into the psychedelic kind of era a little bit, uh, uh, rock and roll era. Um, but it was a while, I think, before I finally settled on Little Walter. It's like, okay, there mm -hmm. it is. Um, I think most harmonica players will talk about kind of the the years they spend in, in their tone quest, right. <laughs> finding the you know the right microphone, the right amplifier, and and I tried to to always I didn't want to end up like every other harmonica player with the same gear, right? Which meant that you went through a lot of really crappy sounding rigs <laughs> in search of finding the right one. Well, you know, a, you know, a guitar player would do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, the sound of Little Walter and the amplified harmonica and that particular, you know, it, 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 there's so much body to the sound right. that it becomes a, a completely different instrument uh, when you plug it into something. And, and you can be heard above all the rest of the band if you're fortunate and got a decent amp and turn up. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, but then I, I think I also ran across a lot of bands in Texas that weren't blues bands 
And it was, well, we don't need a harmonica player. It's like, well, wait a minute. Let me, let me play you these chords through this chorus with right. a little bit of echo on. And the comment would be, wow, that sounds like a B3. And I'd go, thank you. Right. Or, wow, that sounds like a horn section. And I'd go, oh, thank you for that, too. Right. And, and that magic word right there, chords, is a great segue to, to kind of what you're doing now and what your style is. I mean, you think of so many, well, I mean, Bob Dylan throws a, a harmonica across his face while he's playing and he's playing some melody notes and so many people will, will approach a harmonica that way. Your style's a little bit different than that. Uh, yeah, when I'm when I'm not singing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, you know, if you ever sing and play the harmonica at the same time, I, I want to get that on video. Yeah, that's right. There's some Hall of Fame spot for me for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it was it, I was sort of the you know the the Clarence Clemens to to Bruce or to or I was the you know I guess the band in Houston that I played with Dr. Rocket and the Sisters of Mercy. We were sort of similar to Jay Giles' band. So mm-hmm. you know, Magic. Dick is a guy that, that created a spot for the harmonica in a rock and roll context. Okay. Uh, and you know, and would and and the band would simplify things so the the keyboard player would play the same lick, and they'd make that a signature piece of the song. Uh, and it wasn't always about soloing and licks; it was about signature parts. It was about chunking chords. It was about adding to the to the drive underneath right. the the singer. Uh, and so, you know, until I step up front, that was where that was my spot for years was right. to be able to kind of do that style of ensemble playing, be in the rhythm section. Right. And then, how do you, as a, as the front man for your band, Rich Layton and the Troublemakers, uh, which by the way is going to your next gig, I believe, is Friday night, the first at yeah, Rock is. Creek. It is. It uh, is Benjamin's one of Rock our Creek. favorite spots. We're we're right at home. It's like playing in the living room there. Yes, yeah, you know, it actually it really is. That's a great description of the place. Um, and now I can't remember what I was going to come back to. But uh, let's talk through kind of the, the gear uh, that you use and, and how you ended up using what you do. I mean, you've got a pedal board that, that you're sending some things through. Yeah, it was like uh, uh, most everybody in the blues harmonica world plays through the old taxi cab style microphones, you know, bullet mics they call them. Right. And I had one early on, but there are crystals. In, the early ones had crystals, you know, uh, piezoelectric crystals. Okay. And, and so we would, you know, drive across Texas and get to a gig and, and pull a microphone out, and it wouldn't work because the crystal would melt in the heat mm-hmm. of the truck. <laughs> yeah, that, that's never good. When we parked someplace, you know, to go in for get something to eat or whatever. And it's like, well, this is an unreliable way to approach <laughs> the instrument here. And I tried some other, you know, 58, you know, the dynamic mics. One night at Anderson Fair, I saw a microphone back in the corner, picked it up, asked everybody about it. Nobody knew anything about it. They said, you know, nobody's claimed it. I took it home, I plugged it in, and I went, oh, this is it. This is my sound. Uh, for the gearheads, it was an Electrovoice 630 uh, okay. dynamic microphone. Puts out a really hot signal, so whatever you play into, it hits the front end of the amplifier really hard. Okay. 
Fast forward maybe six, eight months, and a, a fellow came up to me who is a, a, a Texas legend as an artist and an inventor and also a musician. His name is Frank Davis. In fact, his birthday was day before yesterday. Happy birthday, Frank. And Frank had built an instrument that he called the Daddy Banjo, which was also his stage name at the time. Okay. The Daddy Banjo was constructed out of a snare drum for the body of the instrument, to which he'd attached a Stratocaster neck off a of Fender guitar, okay. put some pickups on the thing, and some electronics, mystery electronics inside. And then he had a little microphone mounted on the, coming out of the side of the snare drum so that he could just lean forward, self-contained, sing, play the right. daddy banjo. Frank comes up to me and says, you know that's a daddy banjo mic you're playing. Man, my heart sunk. I was like, oh my God, Frank, I'm so sorry. I had no idea, <laughs> nobody even told me. He said, he said, no, 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 I like what you're doing. It's yours. I want you to have it. Oh, wow. So I have the original Daddy Banjo mic still ensconced away. And the Daddy Banjo, they're trying to find a home for it right now. Uh, Steve Earle has talked at length about trying to build one, and he can't recreate the Daddy Banjo. Nobody knows what Frank put inside of this thing exactly. Oh, wow. So uh, Frank is, 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 you know, is suffering from... from dementia now and, and fading out and they're looking for a place to put the daddy banjo hopefully mm -hmm. on a permanent kind of display uh, I'd love to see it go to Nashville, is it David Cobb that took over the old RCA stuff? Yeah, Dave, I, Dave I, Cobb is there, yes I, I, Those guys have put it on a record I, I would love to see it at least go on loan and get on a record you oh, know? Can you imagine what Cobb would do with something like that? Yeah. Oh yeah. man, speaking about someone who's got a magic ear um, he, he has been behind so many of the, the big albums in the last four or five years It's just unbelievable to think about it's, it's just heartening to see real music come back, real music that's not formulaic. Uh, guys go into studios not exactly knowing what's going to come out. Right. Uh, taking risks, uh, you know, serendipity, just, you know, the whole creative process, at least it's not died completely. Somebody's fanned the flames of what it may, meant to make records that stood the test of time and that changed, that snapped people you know, right. to attention when they heard them for the first right. time. No, definitely. Um, yeah, going back to kind of kind of the style here, how do you, as kind of a more of a rhythmic player, uh, kind of imitating a, a, maybe a B3 sound or, or some horns, how did you translate it, working that into now fronting a band and well, where you've got to carry the dual duties right. of, of, you know, carrying the vocals and, you know, breaking out the harp. Right. Well, there's a couple of songs that I've written. Uh, well, actually, just one song, really, that I've written on the harmonica. It's kind of a Cajun song. And uh, uh, what I will do, since it, we've, we've kept it a four-piece band, to be simple right now, and so when the guitar player takes a solo, then that's my chance to kind of lay out there and put that bed of chords underneath so that the, right. just a sonic impact of the band just doesn't drop out right. while somebody's, you know, playing six-string single notes. So I've still got a place to do it um, behind somebody else's solos. So. And, and it's one of the reasons I like to get out and still go play with Robbie Laws or, or some of the folks in town. They're the three-piece bands who welcome me to do what I do. Right. Um, 
I got to play with Teresa James and the Rhythm Tramps out at the Burke a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, they, yeah, they just came through, didn't they? Right. And, 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 and they're old friends from Texas. And, you know, they write a lot of cool kind of R&B stuff with some really great changes along the, you know, maybe something that sounds like it ought to be coming out of Stacks or Muscle Shoals. Mm-hmm. So they brought me up for a few songs, and then they played a few more, and they played a few more, and I was like, you want me to sit down? And it's like, no, man. <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> and, and at the end of the night, I just said, thank you for letting me be myself again, because that was, you know, it's like a bunch of serious people that trust you to know that you're only going to add to, and that you're right. going to find your spots, you're not going to step on anybody else's. And no matter what you play, the first thing you're doing is serving the song. Right. So. Yeah. And actually, I think it was you that put this out on Facebook in the last couple of days. It was a great quote uh, from a, a famous producer who said that, you know, most of his job is not producing. It's subtracting. Yeah. And, and, and taking stuff out of songs. He said he was Willie Mitchell from, from a High Records, who's famous for making a lot of Al, Green's Al, Green's, right. Al yeah. Green's string of, of, of first hits. And he said, most of the time, we, we spend most of our time, time taking shit out. Right. <laughs> he said, we're not producers, we're reducers. Yes. And, and, you know, and that's actually probably a great lesson for anyone trying to make music is, you know, not necessarily you know get by with the the minimum that you can do uh, to to make a song but you know get by with maybe the the minimum that serves the song itself right right you know uh circling back to the blues I kind of got it second generation I, you know the band that I joined played me the songs and I figured out my parts right and and then at some point, I would go back and find the original records, you know, and we pulled up Freddie King or I grabbed a, whatever it might be, uh, Lightning or even Little Walter. And what I discovered is that you go back to the first generation of mm-hmm. blues artists and you're going to find the tempos are slower. There's just a lot less notes. There's a lot more space between right. what happens. And it's like, you know, I'm glad that, that, you know, white kids embraced it and, and, and with the help of the, you know, the Rolling Stones and the Kinks and everybody else that kind of kept the flame alive, right. that, that, you know, we kind of kicked it all up a notch, you know, and, and I guess it, it's our attention span as much as anything. <laughs> you know, we've got those short attention spans and we've got to have more notes thrown in and we've got to play them quicker. Right. Um... How would you how would you describe your music? I, I know I, the phrase that I kind of just casually throw out is kind of a, a Texas roadhouse blues, but that's not quite what the, what you've got going on, is it? Yeah, you know, and I did that as much f- to give people a hook from a booking standpoint, or what right. what are you going to go hear when you go hear this guy? Um, when I first got here, and people would ask me what I play, and every every adjective that I brought into the conversation, they'd kind of shake their heads because there was no context for it. Right. Um, Say, well, I play Gulf Coast Rock and... No. I play Swamp Pot. No. I play Swamp... No. So so they've never heard Cookie and the Cupcakes? No, sir. They've never heard Cookie and the Cupcakes, you know. 
I went on KMHD when I first got to town and I got my, I'm going to get my 15 minutes of fame for a donation and I brought all this pile of stuff over. Right. And uh, it was a Friday Freeway Blues Cruise and man, people started calling in and I went for an hour and I went for an hour <laughs> and I was playing Zydeco and I was playing Swamp Pop and right. I was playing stuff that people had never heard up here. Uh, and so doesn't surprise me. I, I, a little bit about coming to see Rich Lady and the Troublemakers is, is a music appreciation, too. I want to be able to, to pull out uh, something. Uh, this should go on forever. Rod Bernard and the Twisters, 1958 from, like, Veal Platte, Louisiana. Right. And the dance floor packs out, you know, and so we stretch it out. And, and uh, so that kind of stuff... Uh, Digging up, you know, old obscure Johnny Cash or, or just coming up with something that people haven't heard before is part of, of what I really love doing. And it's part of what when people come up at the end of the night and they're, they're grateful because they haven't had to sit through another top 40 night. You know? Right. You know, and, and I've introduced, well, you know this, I've introduced some people that have never heard you before uh, to the music. And, you know, it's like anything else, you, you know, you, dra- you have to drag someone to see something new that you know, they're not familiar with. And, you know, within, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, they're like, wow, this is pretty good. This, this is kind of cool. <laughs> I think that the goal was to have people say, man, I've never heard that before. And boy, I wish I had. I, right. wish, it, I wish it hadn't taken me so long to get turned on to Dave Alvin, you know, or John Hyatt, right. or Los Lobos, uh, or, or, you know, any of the folks that we try to dig up. I, I'm fortunate in that you know, on a given night, it's a third of stuff that I've written, and then it's a third of stuff that my friends in Texas have written, and they're happy to have me play it because right. they're not going to get up here to play it. So it, you know, so it's 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 in that Texas sound at least. Right. And then the other third is, you know, what can we dig up and put a swampy twist on so that it takes people, you know, 15, 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds to figure out, oh my God, that's a Beatles song, right? Or that's from the Kinks. What? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, and I was thinking about this. Gosh, I guess the last time I saw you play, uh, that the, this just how varied the set list is, and how many different places you draw from, and it's just it, it's really uh, I, don't know, I don't know what the right word would be uh, impressive. I guess as much as anything to to think that you know an artist that that does what you do can pull all of that together into a coherent set. Thanks, and and that's as much of a credit to everybody that plays with me. Um, you know, it, it's there, there's a vision of sorts, and it, it is to 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 pull it together and make it sound cohesive. Wait, wait, wait a minute, a, a musician with vision? You, hey. you, you might be the, the first one I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the other, the other half of my brain is a branding marketing guy. Oh, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> so, you know, so I, I'm trying to have a, a branded, you know, sound, if you will, right. or at least a, 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 co- a coherent, cohesive body of music that that we can offer in the marketplace right when we go out to play live someplace that and, and acting like a bunch of silly fools having the time of their lives are the two things that i think are the draw you mm-hmm. know you want to go see people who really have fun doing what they do 
and introducing you to something that maybe you haven't heard before, and and you're and trust me, you're going to like it. You right, know, is uh, is kind of what what our mission is. You know, worldwide swampification, one neighborhood beer joint at a time. One, one beer joint at a time, um, and, and it is it's actually excellent beer drinking music too. Um, so you're a four piece. You're obviously one of the four. So who who are the other three? Who do you who do you got playing with you so, right now? So uh, uh, Larry McCoy is back on guitar. He took a he had a year off to kind of you know tend to personal stuff, and uh, I said so. Have you aggravated your wife enough yet that she's ready to let you be back in the band? <laughs> he said, just about. <laughs> yeah, that's a fine line. You know, you, too much aggravation, she kicks you out. Right. Then right. she starts missing you and gives you enough aggravation, you got to go back. Right. And uh, Troy Stutzman is on drums, and he's been, I think, in the band now for a year, maybe a year and a quarter. Uh, he kind of came out of the twang shifters and and uh, just a great, great guy, full of energy on stage, always got a smile, knows, knows that, you know, he's part of the show too. Really solid. Right. Really brings a lot of excitement. And uh, we will be debuting with our new bass player, uh, Eric Krabenhoft, who's just goes by the name Haas. 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 And he looks like a Haas. He looks like a Haas. It's the coolest guy. It's the coolest rockabilly soul, you know, that I've run into up here. And he's got his corner of the stage, and he just nails it down. And, you know, nobody since I moved up here has ever been familiar with this music. They've all kind of gotten introduced to it by virtue of, of joining the band, and they're right. all really glad. Um, I spent the summer subbing a lot of bass players. And, and they all had that same comment. Well, it's deceptively complex. And I go, mm -hmm. yeah, it's one four five, but it's not twelve bar one four five like you've been playing in all the blues bands. Right. So it's uh, it's got the quirks and it's got the twists and it's got the the you know the surprises. Uh, and so I think everybody that's played with us over the summer, guys have done great jobs. They've all added something to their portfolio now, too, as a result of playing this stuff. Right. And, you know, I, I know this is true for you. Uh, musicianship is like your night job. You have a, a, a day job that, that you hold down, and I, I think that's true for the rest of the band as well, right? It, it is, and, and my business model for 20 years has, or well, a little longer than that. Um, you know, I, I, had, I had permanently damaged hearing, uh, and it really kind of took me out of chasing the brass ring in a full, on a full-time basis. Right many, several decades ago, um, and I've had a couple of scares where I've had to stop my career in, in its tracks two or three times, the last one being the uh, end of 2012. But, so, in order to kind of play, when it makes sense, have some control over how often I'm exposed, I'm exposing my ears to the, right. to the music, it's that you know, everybody in the band needs to be relying on something other than music to, to pay the bills and to, to keep a roof over their heads and stuff. I found over the years that, that when I was starving on behalf of music, I started to lose my love for it. And, and, and right. I, I, I mean, that would have been the, I couldn't imagine that. And so I, I stepped away. And when you put 
that, you know, putting that constraint on music, music, you must feed me, music, you must, you must pay mm-hmm. my mortgage. Man, it's just a recipe for misery that I just don't have any interest well, in. It's this whole other layer of pressure on things. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I've been fortunate in that way that I've always, uh, uh, I've held out for people that, okay, I'm sorry, I, I can't really have a full-time musician. I don't want that pressure on me. Right. Keeping, keeping your rent paid is becoming my responsibility because I've done that. You know? Right. Did that for years. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you know, when I sit down and say, okay, we, you know, we have three priorities in our lives. It's f- family, work, and music. And, and we are blessed with the ability to, muse, to move music to the top. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we also are blessed with the ability to move family to the top and say, hey, right. you know, uh, sorry, we've got to make some time for, for somebody to take care of something that's important. So I think that's what it is. It's it's a, it's that goes back to that shared vision. Right. Uh, everybody's got another way of making a living. Uh, it's not to say we play for free or that we don't we don't you know. I say I say I don't want to price myself out of a good time, but I don't want to leave money on the table. That's right. my negotiating strategy. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd, I'd like to make you know I'd like to make whatever you're paying people who are in our at our level of professionalism, right. and that seems to work well. So. And uh, yeah, ready to reinvest a little bit and get another record out because it's been six years. It's really been that long? Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Ooh, the, or five, uh, man, probably closer to six, 2011, so that's Oh, wow. Six. So how far along are you with a, with a new record? Well, theoretically speaking, I have, you know, two left over from the first one and three that we've done since, so there's five. There's, there's five, so you're halfway there. Yeah, so I'm halfway, yeah, I'm halfway. And I got, you know, four written that we've been playing and got my eye on a couple of covers that I want to do. So, yeah, I think uh, once, once Haas is fully in the saddle, which I don't think is going to take more than a couple of three gigs, get right. to the end of September, we'll be back at it. Now, you mentioned kind of in passing your, your ear issues, and I know this is something that uh, is kind of important to both of us in, in terms of, of hearing and, and hearing loss. Uh, you've got Meniere's disease, uh, if, if I remember that right. That one, I, I, ducked, I didn't really have to Did, deal with that. You didn't it's really just, have to deal with, okay. Yeah, uh, uh, I got diagnosed with tinnitus or tinnitus, depending on what part of the country, tomato, right. tomato. And it's it's you know it's related to to noise induced hearing loss. Right. And at in some cases it can also present to a vestibular thing that does affect your balance. And you're sitting down, and the room is spinning. And, right. And, and I know people that have had bouts of that for extended length of time. So yeah, and it, it's just it's a, it's one of those things that I would love to see figured out in my lifetime. There, I've been sending money to the American Tinnitus Association since I, I found out about right. it. And then when I moved here, I, it turned out it was headquartered here in Portland. I did not know that. Yeah. And the guy over at OHSU has since retired, found it, founded it many years ago. So there's a lot of study, studying and research being, goes up on the, on the hill over there. Was yours related to music? It was. It was. Uh, I did work in factories, and I, and I, you know, so I'm sure that didn't help. Although I had hearing protection in the factories, 
But uh, yeah, you're, you're, you know, you'd come home from a show, your ears would ring, the next morning they wouldn't. And then one night you come home from the show and your ears ring and the next morning they still do. Still ringing. And it goes for a while and then you're paying attention to what frequencies it's taking place at and you kind of get all wrapped up in it. And like I said, I'd do this line in the sand and, and any time the tinnitus would creep over that line, I'd have to reevaluate or I'd have to take a break. Right. Um, and it, unfortunately, it, it, it has a direct correlation to my musical success. The more successful I've been, the more I play, and the sooner that becomes an issue, and I have right. to go back to square one. So we had just released Tough Town. Uh, we were having a great summer. We were just, you know, we were really riding that record in, in 2012 when, when this hearing issue sort of took another turn. And they said, you're done. You know, and it's like, I wasn't really ready to hear that. Yeah, done as in done, done. As in done, yeah. yeah. And eventually I had surgery at the end of 2012 that uh, got me back on stage uh, at, you know, at a cost of some other side effects. But uh, mm -hmm. in the scheme of things, it, 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 you know, I'm really grateful to still get to do it. Uh, and, and, you know, relatively as much as I want to. Right. So what kinds of things do you have to do now to, to protect your hearing and make sure it doesn't get worse? Um, I got the uh, custom-fitted earplugs with, with filters in them, so you're getting full frequency. I, it's funny, I'd be, I was like Johnny Appleseed with earplugs. If I saw somebody on the side of the, you know, side of the street doing a yard and they had the leaf blower on their back, and I didn't see hearing protection. I'd right. pull over the car, get them out of the glove box, and go, man, you can't get it back. You know? Very true. And uh, so I've handed out a lot that way. I, I did earplugs, the foam kind, just stuffed as far as I can <laughs> for years and years. And now I, I since learned that probably I would have been a little bit better served with a, another approach. Right. Certainly letting all the frequencies in and not just cutting out the highs. So. We're, you know, we've also learned, and the people I play with have learned, that if we can manage our volume, uh, we're more marketable. Uh, definitely. You know, I, I, it's just part of being a, uh, you know, a professional is taking ownership of your stage volume. And, you know, when, when, you, when you create that space, you play differently. You discover new things about the music. You get to hear each other play in a different way. And it's never... Uh, it's never uh, an inconvenience or I don't ever feel like we're having to give up something to play at a reduced volume. I think it's just another co another color that we get to paint with. Right, and, and the people listening to you can actually hear everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, we, it's kind of a, a preventative thing. What advice would you give to young musicians today? Well, watch out for the drums. The cymbals is what got me. Drums on drum risers put the cymbals exactly at ear height. And you and I went to see. Yes. Um, we uh, we had just seen Blackberry Smoke. Was yeah, the last yeah, one. Blackberry Smoke, and they had the we call it the drummers call it the sneeze guard. Yes, but the sneeze guard wasn't the full the full height of the drum kit. It was just at the height of the cymbals. Right, and, and we're talking about a, a plexiglass shield that, right. that you most people would associate with sitting in front of a uh, guitar amplifier. But you can see these in, in other places, and you know, in, in this case, it was sitting in front of the cymbals. Right, and it also prevents the cymbals from cutting through to the vocal mics and being an unwieldy sonic element in right. the mix as well. So, yeah. 
and, and you know, taking you can you can get some twelve dollar hearing protection. You know, you don't have to have custom fitted ones. Um, Edemotic is the manufacturer mm -hmm. that that seems to be you know full frequency stuff that you can buy you know uh, in various levels of attenuation. Right. Yeah, they also make wonderful pieces for in-ear monitors right. as well. Right, right. I've not ventured into in-ear monitors because I'm always afraid that something's going to happen and I'll get zapped. You'll, you'll get that one yeah. transient or yeah. something happens. And as soon as sound check starts, I've learned to put my earplugs in. Right. Because invariably something's going to squeal like a stuck pig and yes, everybody will. else will be going, oh, and, and I'll be going, thank God I have my earplugs. Right. <laughs> yeah, because if you didn't, you'd be laying there on the floor looking up and kind of wondering right, why the right. room is spinning. You know, it, it's, it's, I've just equated earplugs for years to safe sex, you know, it's just, <laughs> you, you, you might be just, just ever so slightly removed from the sensation, but trust me, <laughs> the rest of your life is going to be much better for it. You know? As well as your bank account later on. Um, okay, so we, we recently saw Blackberry Smoke. Well, what else have you been to lately that uh, has caught your ear? Um, you know, I was knocked out by Marty Stewart, and I almost didn't go. I mean, friends of mine in Houston said, by the way, you see Marty Stewart's coming, because it was a Tuesday night right. at uh, Star no, Theater. At the Star. Yep. And uh, man, I was so entertained on every level. I just, you know, the musicianship, the camaraderie, the stage craft. Right. Um, you know, and none of it was contrived. It all was a, in a very natural, organic fashion. And I think, I, I always have believed for myself that I, we could be entertaining without having to think about it. Right. And so Marty's a guy that, I, he, you know, that's it. I mean, yeah, maybe you talked about a thing that you did here or there. Uh, and, and I always like to have that, you know, it's nice when your band is willing to have a conversation about, well, you know, if we played these three songs back to back right. <laughs> without stopping to have a sip of beer or tune your guitar, you know, we would demonstrate a level of finesse that our peers don't always have. Right. You know? But Marty Stewart, just great. And, and because he also covered kind of the, a lot of the musical bases that we do, mm -hmm. he had some Swampadelic from his new record, <laughs> which I just loved. And, you know, some good old, good old fashioned vintage country. Right. And, uh, but yeah, really well paced, really well played, uh, just, just dynamic. Man, I just, I, I was just grinning ear to ear. And, you know, after all these years, we get a little bit jaded about this stuff. And, and you just really like it when, when it hits you just like you remember the first time. Right. You know, and, and you, know, you, use, you use that word contrived. And kind of the flip side of that is authentic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and that's, you know, I, I think we're, we both agree on this one that, the, you know, there, there's just something about certain kinds of music. Uh, well, I guess, uh, who is it that runs the Americana Music Association? Jed Hilly? Yeah. Yeah. He's got this great definition of, of Americana music where he says, you know, it's music that you can feel the dirt in your ears. Yeah. And yeah. You know, it's just another way of saying it, it, it's authentic. And, it, you know, there's just something about it that you, know, you can't 
put a finger on, but it, it just kind of hits you and it tickles that musical spot in, in a way that nothing else really will. It does, and, and I guess there's not, not everybody listens to music to have that experience, you know, I right. forget. I mean, there's, you know, that's why pop music is all over the radio and why, why bro country is all over the radio. And, you know, I just have to, to realize there's, you know, that, that people listening to music to have some kind of authentic experience and have some kind of emotional connection like that, it's, it's not a universal thing, no. you know, sadly. Um, I'm I, I'm still an un, unrepentant Bruce Springsteen fan, <laughs> as, as you should be. <laughs> and even when Bruce is a little contrived, he does it with a <laughs> with a nod and a wink, you know. And, and you go, okay, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, you know, and, and anyone that can get Courtney Cox in one of his music videos is okay with me. <laughs> You've actually have done some videos and some TV stuff over the last year or two, right? Uh, yeah, a little bit. And if anybody's listening who's an artist and looking for a, a, a resource for that, uh, Local Roots Northwest is a is a community um, and kind of a resource for up and coming local bands. It's a, it's a it's a radio show that features local bands on it's a it's a monthly showcase that features local bands at which you can get a half hour show recorded and broadcast and they and have this a, is video no this is audio this is audio I'm okay. getting to the video part okay. which is they have a sister well their station KMUZ in Salem is affiliated with the community television station down okay. there and they're doing a local roots half hour series music series Nice. So go on Facebook and find those guys and find out how to get... And, and I have a degree in radio, TV, and film production from a million years ago at the University of Texas. And so I waited until I was sure that the technical quality of what they were doing was going to not was going to be uh, to my standards. Right. It wasn't a Wayne's world. Right. <laughs> there still is the difficulty that it's a pretty sterile setting. Right. You can bring a few people along, but... Uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me. But it's not an ACL recording. No, it's not. Yeah. No. Unfortunately, you don't get that, 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 I wonder if they could do that next. I think it'd be fun to see them do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and just as soon as I said that, yeah, and if anyone didn't catch a reference, ACL's Austin City Limits, uh, the long-running, uh, very famous PBS series. Um, as soon as I said that, it made me wonder if there's maybe uh, room in the area to do something like that, that would uh, kind of showcase Northwest artists. I think some people are percolating on it for a while. Uh, a few years ago, I was invited to be part of something we ended up calling, uh, uh, what did we call it? Something with a backstage pass. Anyway, we pitched the concept to uh, OPB and they, they, they kind of ran us off because they, they just couldn't imagine anybody else but them doing it, even <laughs> though they had not successfully managed to do it yet. Right. They weren't willing to support anybody else who could do it. Right. So, um, but it was that idea that we'd do something at the Aladdin Theater. We'd have a little bit more backstory than, than Austin City Limits has. Because right. um, we might show you know, the Decemberists where they hang out, you know, where, mm -hmm. where they're getting their inspiration in town, and, and then we'd do the show. Um, 
that I was I was pitching it as a caffeinated Austin city limits. <laughs> You're going to do a caffeinated Austin city limits, right? Now I, I know you know you know lots of people that have been on ACL and you've played with lots of people. Have you ever been on it yourself? No, man. Bucket list. You're talking bucket, bucket list, list there. Damn it! But I had to figure out I had to figure out how to make that happen. Yeah, some of my dearest friends have been on, and I'm still too far away. So. <laughs> All right. Well, Rich, it's been a, a pleasure talking with you, and I really appreciate you coming in to do this. And his band, Rich Layton and the Troublemakers, will be at uh, Rock Creek McMinimins on Friday night, September 1st, right? Well, yep. What I should do is tell you to look for richlayton.us. Richlayton.us. Yeah, calendar's there, sign-up sheet's there. You can see all sorts of stuff. You can see me playing with Lucinda, Lyle Lovett, my friends from Texas when they come up. And uh, But yeah, so thanks for having me. And I, you know, I just dig what Oregon Music News is, the mission you guys have is trying to, you know, keep people connected to, to, what, to what makes this community just such a mecca. Uh, and, and, and hopefully, hopefully, you know, raise the raise a level for all of us here <laughs> to be able to play here and right. make a semblance of a, a living per se. But you know how it goes. Yeah, no, I def- definitely appreciate the kind words. All right, thank you very much, Rich. 